Good morning. Welcome to the Slow Twitch Podcast. I'm hey, Ryan. I'm supposed to say that. That's hey, my uh, intro. Your intro. It says it. Look on the thing of Jay. Oh. Eric. Hey, everybody. Thanks for oh, joining fine. us on the Slow fine. Twitch Podcast. As always, I'm joined by Ryan Heisler. How are you doing this week, buddy? Uh, we're so good at improv. <laughs> that's uh, that's about the only thing that I'm going to read on this episode. Outstanding. So yeah. you got a migraine second day. Uh, pro tip, everybody don't use the side of your face and shoulder to stop from 25 miles an hour when on a bike, because you're going to have a bad time nine years later. So, um, yeah. I, I used to not get migraines, but ever since I hit my head really hard, fun fact, they show up. So here we are. Yeah. Uh, thanks, everybody, for joining. Um, Eric, how was your weekend? I mean, you seem to unplug a little bit. You know, the weekend was awesome. Um, my wife and I took our dog because uh, we didn't have our kids. Our kids were at their, their dad's house for the weekend, as they do every other weekend. And, uh, we, uh, we, yeah, grabbed some neighbor friends, uh, her sister, um, our little niece came to, and, uh, we went down to a, uh, little area of Southern Utah called Buck Hill Wash and, um, just kind of got away for a couple of days and, um, kind of checked out, still checked in, you know, we've got Starlink, uh, internet. So it, uh, it's a bit of a game changer as far as just being able to get off the grid and kind of get away um as much as you need but still being able to be in connection with people it's also just kind of nice from a safety perspective because you know i used to have to bring those garmin you know satellite gps you know devices and you know send those text messages of hey we're here we're safe we don't have any cell phone service um you know if you need me blah blah Uh, but now we just get into camp and we just set the starlink up and you know, we're, we're kind of connected to the world, um, for good and bad. So yeah. but it was, it was nice. The weather was great. Um, couldn't ask for just a, a more relaxing couple of days. Nice. Yeah. I remained plugged in. Yeah. Thanks for <laughs> keeping the fort down. So yeah, you know, like relatively big weekend of racing, um, you know, our primary focus, um, was on 70.3 Chattanooga, which kind of is the companion race to 70.3 Gulf Coast as, you know, for Ironman, they had split the genders off. Women's only race, Paula Finlay, absolutely (laughs) dominating. She crushed everybody. Just one of the scary strongest performances I think I've seen in a long time where she had a really solid field i mean you look at second through sixth really kind of coming in in a super tight window and she just got away and stayed away all day yeah i mean you know i've said it before i'll say it again um i think that paula is the most talented engine in the women's field like if you if you get paula on a day where she's fit both you know emotionally and physically she's gonna win 99 out of 100 times like yeah it's just plain and simple so and, uh, and i mean you still had um 
you know, Danielle Lewis, Jeannie Metzler putting together really strong performances, you know, shortly thereafter from St. George, um, Sarah True running herself up there, Sky Mensch having a pretty good day. I mean, overall, right, like the racing was really good. Unfortunately, the broadcast product left a little bit to be desired in terms of like actually working. Um, yeah, it, it's, it seems like it's just on the desktop. Like, were you on the desktop or were you on? So I was on my laptop because, okay. you know, I'm trying to write at the same time yeah, and yeah. be able to go back and forth between the two. Yeah, they have this like really bad looping issue. On uh, I desktop. got stuck into a 40 minute infomercial hosted by Matt Lieto. And oh, I mean, gosh. like, <laughs> Jeez Louise, all about the Kona village and everything. Truly just, the Matt Lieto show. It, it, it was indeed. Um, <laughs> But, uh, you know, elsewhere, uh, I think Challenge had the championships in Samarin. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's the name of it. But yeah, <laughs> same, same place that the PTO had their big challenge thing that they did a couple of years ago. Right. Where they spend an odd godly amount of money doing a live broadcast. <laughs> I mean, and here's the thing, and this is really kind of what we're going to be diving into here today is kind of like the state of long course triathlon, both, you know, at a professional level and broadcast and what it's going to do for this kind of audience. Right. Before we move on, though, like, let's not forget Xterra had their big weekend in Alabama. Um, Eric Lagerstrom took second place. So he finally started to put together his mountain biking skills. Um, and, uh, he did really well there. I was actually, uh, no disrespect to Eric, but I was, I was surprised at how well he did. Um, considering it usually takes a lot longer for people to transfer over from road time trial into really being able to keep up with those mountain bikers. Yeah. I mean, unless your name is Flora Duffy, right? Like, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I think her, I think her short course helped her with yeah. that. Right. Because it's, you know, you put her on a time trial bike now and it's, it's, she's not the same, you know, athlete. Like she just isn't, she's got nutritional stuff she's dealing with. She's got back issues she's dealing with cause it's so long. It's, you know, she's just not as comfortable um, as that, and, you know, from, you know, but you know, I mean, Eric, Eric's just, he's always been kind of a gravel rider and he's always loved to be on his mountain bike. So I think that's helped him. He's, he's a great bike handler. I've seen that guy just bomb descents, like in his time trial bike, like, you know, holding a GoPro from his mouth. So, you know, there's that, but, uh, I was really impressed to see his result. Um, so, you know, both Paul and Eric had really good results over the weekend. No, it, was the Xterra event Saturday and her race Sunday or it was, it was Saturday and Sunday. So there was like a, there was two races that they, that they did. Xterra has got some cool like event weekends going on these, these days. And they're really starting to refine those. So they've got stuff that goes on Friday, Saturday and Sunday. And so they're kind of going back to their, their roots of, okay, we've only got, you know, so much room on the course, but we want to, try to include everyone that we can. And so they, they kind of mix it up to where they, they do longer, you know, races one day, shorter races the other day. And then they do a bunch of trail racing and kids racing from running perspective. And it's, they're cool weekends, man. I'm yeah. We're going to go to the Beaver Creek one this summer. 
um, August um, just to participate in, in the, the U.S. Uh, I think it's the USA Championships. So cool weekend. Really cool. So now we can transition over, right? Yeah. yeah. So speaking <laughs> little, of triathlon. little premature, right? So um, we're going to take a look at sort of the state of long course triathlon and, you know, like it's hard to not lead with the 800 pound gorilla, right? Which is Ironman. And I mean, Ironman's got kind of an interesting history to it in terms of how it produces its events and sort of like how that has impacted at least pro racing over the years as well. Right. So, I mean, if you look, you know, 20 years ago, Ironman was not in the business of actually putting on events, right? Like their entire model was to license their events out and the real kind of growth within the sport was when North American sports was really kind of putting on the key quote unquote Ironman races in the U S and Canada that you kind of know today. Right. So Lake Placid and Penticton at the time, Arizona, like all of those races had popped up under that umbrella. Okay. But real quick. So I just want to clarify Yep, their, their business was to put on events you know, it's just, I believe it was Graham Frazier at the time that, yep. yeah, I think he just understood and knew that he personally couldn't do it as fast as he wanted to by himself. Yeah. And I mean, you had like, what wound up happening, right, is you had kind of these regional race directors that put really kind of interesting spins on stuff. So like where I lived, northern new england we had keith jordan who put on moose man and uh timberman two classic new hampshire races um and then he wound up being uh they pivoted him down to put on the original iron man texas mm. uh in the woodlands right and you know the, those licensees had their own ways of approaching putting on the, the event like it still had like a lot of key components. Well, they were local, right? They You had someone who is visible. They, they knew the community. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, like some of that has gotten lost over the years, right? As stuff kind of rallies more around like what the Ironman and Ironman 70.3 brands are as, you know. But what you have gotten is a fair degree of consistency out of the actual product, right? And so, like, you almost always know you're going to have more than enough swim safety. You're going to have um, a bike course that's pretty well set up. You know what the aid stations are going to be and about where they're going to be all the time, right? Like, everything. It's corporatized. I don't want to call it McDonald's, right? Like, but, you know, whenever you go to McDonald's, you know exactly what you're going to get, right? Like, worldwide. And you pretty much get that, you know, with very rare exceptions um, when you choose to race an Ironman product right now. Like, Mm -hmm. you know what you're going to get. Chicken nuggets in China, man. Best. The best. McDonald's, Um, Taco Bell. They've saved me so many times. KFC. (laughs) But um, what that kind of, like when you had kind of that local model, right? Like you had 
sort of differing ways that professional athletes would be able to race and choose different events because you know like Ironman has not always had a pro race at every single one of their races and they don't today right like nor should they nor nor should they like there's there's not enough good pros to race all of the events no and i mean like you know at the end of the day what is ironman like it's a race it's an event production company it's an experience company right like you go there to have an experience um and you know that experience winds up being able to be experienced by, you know, everyone from a pro athlete all the way to a last place finisher, right? And everybody in between. But their key business is that event, right? Yeah, it's age groupers. It's it's uh, it's age groupers. It's merch sales. It's you know that's where they make their money. They they don't make money off of professional athletes. And I mean, that's not to say that pro athletes shouldn't be part of the business model because, you know, there's, a, there's, it's not just aspirational, right? Yeah. And I'm not saying that at all. Like it's a very, you know, pro athletes are a very important part of Ironman's business model. And, and I, as much as people complain about it, I think they do a pretty good job at, at showcasing that. Um, you know, when you look at the amount of money and time and resources, like they know that pro athletes are important to not only the business model that they have, but the community and the sport as, as a whole, right? Like any sport out there, they need their heroes. They need, you know, the, the, uh, the people that we as like these, you know, amateurs can look up to and be like, wow, like man, they're so fast. Like they're doing so many cool things. Like I want to be like them, you know? Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's that combination of both aspirational, right? Like there, there's that component of it. And as you mentioned, like it's the fabric of the community, right? And the, the really cool part about most triathlon experiences is that you get to race the same course, same day as a pro athlete. And you, literally cannot do that anywhere else right like i play golf a lot like i could go play oak hill but i'm not going to get into the pga championship right like i'm not going to be able to see it the exact same way i'd never be able to play there in the same conditions that the pros did this weekend right like it just and i think that one of the things that makes Ironman triathlon in particular really cool is that you know no matter what like we can all experience the practically the same conditions on the day we're pretty much all able to have the same equipment there's just like the minor rules tweaks between pros and age groupers yeah yeah it, do you remember when it wasn't the case do you remember like back in the day when when the pro bike like area actually was like different than mm-hmm. like the age group area. And and now it's, it's like not, it's like the same. Yeah. It, and I mean, uh, honestly, I think not having them totally segmented out, right. Like it just, it goes back to like, everyone's, everyone's the same here. We have the same kind of setups. Like it's just, it's literally the 
wetsuit rules and the drafting rule, right? Yeah. Like that, that's pretty much it. Um, and, and I, I like that a lot about the sport. Well, everybody does. And it's, it's a big talking point, you know, it's, um, and you can see it with, you know, we're, we're unique in the regards of, we know a lot of these pros and we have, you know, personal relationships with them. And, you know, some of them are, you know, friends, uh, like true lifelong friends and, and others are just, you know, they're acquaintances because we're in the industry. Um, you know, but you, and so we kind of, you know, we're jaded by, you know, the excitement that we used to have when we first got into the sport and we would see like the McKeeley Joneses and the Craig Waltons of the world and, and the Chris McCormick's and we're just like, Oh my gosh, like, you know, Nicole DeBoom and Tim. De- I remember it's just like, just oogling over Tim to boom, you know, when he won Ironman, you know, I was like, the guy was like my hero. Like I was cruising around in midway, you know, carrying an American flag, you know, the, <laughs> the day that he won Kona. Um, and now Tim's just a good friend, um, you know, but you see that on, you know, age groupers when you go and you're covering a race because, you know, they're just like, they're, they're the, they have the same emotions of just right. like, oh my gosh, did you see who just walked by and, And, you know, and sometimes I have to kind of laugh. I'm like, yeah, I did. I don't really like that person, but yeah, it's fine. Um, You know, but they're so excited about it. And that's what's so cool about, um, you know, what Ironman started from a triathlon perspective um, and what other race organizations, which I think we're going to get into, have tried to do their best to emulate um, because that is a very special part about our sport is the connectivity that we have with, you know, people's heroes. Right. And, uh, brief Tim DeBoom aside, like Tim, when Tim decided to hang it up at rev three Quasi in like 2012, he gave me his crack pipe as he was walking out of transition. So that's still in my toolbox. Right. I still have his shoes that he left. He left his (laughs) shoes. He left his running shoes there. He just like, he's like, I'm done. I'm done. Um, But, you know, speaking specifically about pro triathlon and Ironman, right? Like Ironman has invested the most in terms of being able to showcase their product on various platforms live, right? They're going to have, you know, a certain number of 70.3s that they're partnered with outside watch for. They have their own Ironman now platform. They've been doing stuff on YouTube for a while, previously on Facebook watch. Now, are we talking about like money investment or are we talking about time investment? Cause I don't know how much of that they pay for, or if it's, you know, Facebook was paying for a lot of the, the live stuff. You know, I, I would imagine that outside probably covers a lot of the expense on the live broadcast, or at least their. I crew. mean, just overall like resource investment, okay, like it's okay. it, and it's not. You know, I just don't want like the PTO lovers to come out and like give us a bunch of heat on that one because well, if, if there's a if there's a company that has spent a lot of money on broadcast, it's it's them, and probably Clash would be second. But it just overall like resources, right? Like they've they yeah. continue to try and refine and get and get better. I mean, yeah. like it was pointed out, and I agreed. Like the last couple of races, like even just the um, the quality of like the thirty second commercials that Ironman has to promote their next live event, like it looks yeah. like broadcast. 
Yeah. And then the overall graphics package has stepped up. And you mentioned that's from BCC doing yep. a lot of work on that end of things. And so like we're getting the opportunity to kind of quote unquote, see our heroes out there pretty consistently. Right. Um, you know, it's been a live broadcast three of the last four weekends. Um, mm-hmm. And that helps drive what we're able to do um, from an editorial standpoint to be able to help continue to sort of like share a narrative and talk about it. Yeah. That even though some people don't like your narrative. <laughs> Don't tell if, people they need to rest, Ryan. Don't. That's bad. I mean, I if have I opinion. don't piss someone off, <laughs> I'm probably not doing my job very well. <laughs> You've raised four out of the, what was it, four out of the five weeks? Four of the last seven weeks, inclu- including uh, a full Ironman and 370.3s. So. Yeah, yeah. It's probably a good time to take some time off. Maybe rest um, at the pool, you know, little things. And yet, like, there are a lot of people who have done that, like, kind of thing. And, but once you reach that sort of point, like, you you have a certain level of fatigue. Like, you just... Yeah. I, mean, I have a certain well, level of fatigue, and that's just called life, right? Well, <laughs> like, well, I'll tell you the people that don't do things like that long term are the people that win world championships. Yeah. And, like... Even look at somebody like Lionel who loves to race, like loves to race. Once again, he's never won a world championship. But he, like, he has been working on like his schedules pulled back a little bit over the last couple of years. As I think he's, you know, putting stuff together that like I, I, I can't go into something like this with a bunch of fatigue in my system. It's just not going to work for me. Yeah, yeah, you can't, especially when you get to, you know, the age uh, that Lionel is, you know, and, and, and racing the young bucks that are just coming up. And I'm pretty sure Lionel's still younger than me, so let's... Oh, uh, totally. We're, we're old <laughs> farts, man. Um, but the big halos in our sport remain kind of like Ironman, like Ironman World Championships, Ironman 70.3 Worlds, right? Like those... Those are the halo events and you, you see people continue to kind of chase their way around to qualify, whether it's a pro or an age group athlete, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and we're not going to get into the, oh my God, they're watering down the world championships by splitting a discussion, right? Like people still are chasing and choosing their race schedule based on how they're going to be able to get to those events. At least enough athletes that will fill those for sure. Yeah. And so, you know, like I think the challenge that race producers like challenge will face um, is that, you know, like what is that halo event, right, that gets you there? And, you know, like when we look at um, challenge specifically, at least in North America, like they have had a brutal time trying to break through. Why do you think that is? Um, I, I think part of that boils back to the way that they attempted to break in when they acquired the Rev 3 series and that like 
or at least they acquired them as a licensee. Those races only raced as Rev three or as Challenge for a single year, and then everything went back to Rev three again. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and they like they picked up like Delmo's race too. Like there was quite a bit of races that they picked up from a licensee perspective. So the first two, right? Like there was, um, they had Challenge Atlantic City, which eventually mm-hmm. turned into Ironman seventy point three Atlantic City. Yeah. Um, and then they had a race basically on the border between Maine and Canada. And you yeah. had to bring your passport in order to be able to race up there. And that was a really kind of unique, interesting experience. And it sold somewhat well. Um, but then, you know, they really wanted to put some time and money investing into the North American market. They chose to do so um, by partnering with the then Rev3 crew. And that, for one reason or another, really only lasted a year. And then, you know, Challenge was pretty much out of North America at that point. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is, is that, like, they have one of the coolest events on the face of the planet in Roth. It's the biggest race. I I mean, in, in my opinion, it's bigger than, take away the broadcasting, it's bigger than Kona. Well, I mean, don't take away the broadcast too much. They're going to be doing it on <laughs> slow twitch. No, no, I'm talking about I'm talking about the broadcast that is around Kona. Yeah, right? yeah, the fact that it televises it. Like if you if you if you compared apples to apples and took away the broadcast and the dollar amount that went into Kona, my personal feeling is Roth is bigger than Kona itself. I mean, Roth from an atmosphere standpoint, like, is just insane. It's fucking huge. <laughs> It's um, huge. It's, it's probably huge. the biggest spectator. The expo is the sport. same size as the entire setup in Kona. Yeah. like, And I'm talking like the pier, the banquet hall, just everything. the expo. Yeah. It's massive. 250,000 participants or uh, spectators come out for that race. 250,000. It's batshit insane. Like it's just can't it's wait. huge. I can't wait to get over there again. Before I give up racing full distance, I have to go there once. Just once. We got, we got two slots for 2024, man. Maybe you're the one. Maybe you're the lucky winner. Mm. <laughs> Don't tell my wife that. Don't tell my wife that. Don't tell my wife that. It's really hard not to tell my wife that on a broadcast product, but here we are. Um <laughs> But here's the thing, like Challenge had their championships this weekend, right? Like, and there was nothing out there outside of live tweeting on the Challenge account. Like, how do you follow that? Like, yeah, it's tough. And that's really unfortunate, right? Like when you're talking about how are professional athletes supposed to sell to a sponsor or something else like that your races should be treated as important for sponsor bonuses or anything else as say like an Ironman event when you're not getting anywhere near the same kind of buzz or attention that might be there. And that's really unfortunate, right? Like that at least we know about, right? Like for all we know, like in Europe challenge was covered 
immensely, right? Like local newspapers and, you know, so we may be a little jaded in that regards of we're, you know, on our little island in North America. So, And I think that is, that is a distinction that we do have to make, right? Like that we are, um, for better or for worse, we're North American biased, right? Yeah. Like that's where the majority of slow Twitch's audience comes from, um, and has come from, um, and even when you look at discussion within our forum, which is a little bit more global, like there were no threads about any racing this weekend, right? Yeah. Like, which is was somewhat shocking. And, and so, you know, like I, I think, I think challenge is going to continue to, um, like, Roth will always be amazing, um, but. Uh, I don't know how um, strong the remainder of the brand portfolio is going to be for, you know, particularly for professionals. I think they do a good job like for local event production um, for their various events. Like they usually put on a couple of different distances within a given event weekend at their races. Um, they, they do a great job. Yeah. They're great events. They're super well organized. There's great swag. And you know, it's, it's a little different. It comes out of Europe, right? So it's different from us, for us, but it's, it's awesome stuff. And it's, it's, it's a great experience. And, you know, I think going back to the, the question that I asked you is of why do you think they've, they've struggled? And I think this is a general, sense across the board. And that is, I think, and, and it's something that we're definitely having issues with now when it comes to like the PTO and stuff, trying to like force, um, you know, eyeballs and force the fact that like we have this cool sport. Um, things just take time. And, and I, you know, we tend to forget that, you know, it, it, it takes a long time for things to become legacy. Yeah. And, you know, like Roth has been around for like 30, 30 years, something years. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and there's a reason why it's now, you know, in my opinion, the biggest event in the world and in triathlon, it's because it's been, they've been doing it for 30 years over and over and over again. And they, and that, and that group has never wavered on the quality of the event. Yep what they do with the community as far as how they involve the community and give back to the community. You know, and you look at the iconic races that have been in the sport, they're all old. They're older events that have for decades have spent the time building something very unique and very special and, and fine tuning all of the little you know, dots and the crossing of the T's to make sure that that event can last in that community for that long so that it can build. And I think, you know, that's a struggle that, you know, somebody like Challenge would have coming over to America because they just assume that that the legacy of Roth or the legacy of these events that have been around for 20, 30 years, it's just going to happen in a day or two, you know, over in a different country. And it just that's just not the case. And that's not the case for anything. You know, it yeah. just, it takes a long time for those deep rooted roots to, 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 you know, to, to take hold and, and to become something that's, that's special and unique. And I think, you know, 
off of that point, right? Like, like challenge assumes, you know, or at least the way that it comes across, challenge assumed that the brand equity of Roth itself might transfer over, right? And for better, or like the way that they seem to do it, it, it feels like it the brand equity stays with the local event, right? Yeah. Whereas like if Iron Man puts on a new race anywhere, right? Like they dumped a new race in Jones Beach, like it immediately sells out. And part of that is because they have, you know, they have 35 years of putting on events in North America. And it's not just, oh, like we put on races. It is, hey, we've put on safe events in all of these various communities. So when we pop up a new one, like the equity stays with the brand rather than with the local event itself. Well, Iron Man's also getting better at where they're putting locations. You know, they they went through that phase of where they, you know, they shot themselves in the foot a lot of times over the last 10 years. And they still do it constantly today on, you know, little things. But they, you know, they've got these seasoned employees at Iron Man these days that are starting to be the ones that make decisions yep. on where these events go. Like, you know, um, Dave Christian is is the one that is in charge of, you know, the East Coast on where to put, you know, races. And and, and that guy's been around forever, you know, and and the marketing team, you know, you've got you've got Colby and, and Nicole, you know, these two rock star females that have been in the sport for, you know, a decade. And they're the ones that are doing the marketing, you know, with Dave on where they're putting races. And so you know, they're finally starting to learn from their lessons and their mistakes that they've had in the past on where to put races and when to launch them. And so, you know, to my point, you know, three or four minutes ago where, you know, we tend to rush things, um, you know, Iron Man definitely, like they rush things a lot four or five, six years ago. They're slowing down on, when they're canceling races, as far as like, we're pulling the plug, like, like Tulsa is gone, you know, because it just doesn't make sense to put on that race anymore. And they, you know, they run all of their data and they're like, okay, well, where, where, where can we put a race on, you know, that doesn't, um, appeal with, you know, geographical areas, but also like when somebody wants to race in that, that, that area of the world too. Yeah. And I think, you know, particularly where they're able to pinpoint the kind of like geographic region, right? Like there's only so many races in the Southeast that you can have in a given period of time, right? Like there's only so many races that can be supported in Northern New England, right? Like our race season pretty much lasts from now until September 10th. And that's pretty much it. Right. Like you go much further than that. And like you, it could be 35 in the morning. Yeah. Good luck. Right. (laughs) Um, It's a quick way to get a race off the calendar at that point. But, you know, just wrapping up on challenge themselves. Right. Like I think in Europe, in Asia, like they're going to continue to have really, really solid events like particularly serving the age group marketplace right like and 
well-produced, but there's more regional, I guess, is the best terminology for it. And then, you know, from a professional standpoint, it's, it's really like at least cracking through to, you know, our neck of the woods, it's, it's Roth or bust. And yeah, but Roth's a hell of an event like to hang your hat on. Yeah. Which is, which is sad, right? Because I would love for them to be more effective over here in North America. I would love them to, to find success, right? Like the 800 gorilla can always have some, you know, some competition out here. Yeah. I mean, the last time we had, you know, like a, a regional or national level kind of quote unquote challenger probably for at least 70.3 was rev three. Yeah. Right. And, you know, full disclosure, we were both there, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, as it was what like started with three races, grew eventually to 10 and then had to pull back. Right. Because it got too big, too quickly, too big, too quickly. Um, you know, it, it, it dealt with some bullying, you know, from the old 800 pound gorilla, you know, for sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and just, you know, going back to the, you know, to your point, it grew too fast. Like they just didn't have those deep rooted, you know, uh, relationships with those communities. So, you know, you, you have success one year and then you go back to redo, you know, redo all the permit applications and you realize that, you know, the city thinks that you're making all of this money and it jacks its rates up three times. And you're like, wait, I, I, I can't afford that. Right? right. Like, you know, um, and so it, you know, it makes it, it makes it challenging and hard. So, and I mean, you know, like this, this brings us kind of like to the newcomer trying to like elbow its way into the room, particularly at the professional level. Right. And it's the PTO. Sure. What's the latest with them? Are they are they producing age group races this year? Did they? So um, the only one that they're really doing age group racing at is the Asian Open. Okay. Do we know why they were really big into age group racing last year? So if we're being really kind of technical, like this is the fourth iteration of the PTO, right? Like just the fourth. If we're being charitable, if in terms of like <laughs> dividing up everything into segments, but you know, like they struggled a little bit in terms of driving age group registration to some of their events last year. Like <laughs> it's it, it because just, they announced them like three months before they happened. <laughs> uh, I mean, particularly the Canadian Open, right? Like was a little bit more difficult for them to kind of get people there. I think Canada generally has been a tougher marketplace since COVID, right? Like, Oh yeah. Super restrictive for a longer period of time. Which is a shame because I didn't attend any of their races, but I've had a couple of friends that attended races and they were great put on races. Like, yeah. I mean, like they, they worked with, you know, local race producers to, you know, put on the age group events. And then, you know, like the professionals had their own sort of thing, you know, like, because the current iteration of the PTO is we want to have these season long stories where we bring together the best athletes 
and you know be able to have it be kind of more of a, a spectator thing you know this year they're really working with existing festival style races to put on their open races for the professionals and open's probably the wrong term because you know you have to <laughs> it's invite only isn't it it was it, at one it's point. invite to the top 30 of their uh pto rankings right okay and which so- is crazy because it's the professional athletes that apparently made those rules well, <laughs> so this is where stuff gets a little weird right maybe we should maybe we should go into this in a different episode where we can spend some more time um, Maybe we can have a board member on. Maybe I can get yeah, Sky to come talk about it. That's probably, you know, like that would be a really interesting conversation, right? Because on on the surface, <laughs> put them to the fire. Do you like your paycheck or do you not like your paycheck? <laughs> well, on the surface, right? Like it looks a little self dealing to have like the top athletes making decisions about who gets to race a quote unquote open event. Yeah, it does. Right. Like that's just, and it, it goes back to like when you have all of the, the prior history of what the PTO has tried to be and what it is today. And it's like it, the narrative keeps changing a little bit and I don't know exactly what the end game looks like for them. I don't think anybody does. Because originally, right, like when Rich Allen launched this thing as the Pro Triathlon Union, right, like yeah. it was supposed to be a representative body, right? And then it morphed into PTO, the PTO version, you know, 1.1, where they changed the U to an O because mm-hmm. he realized that union means things in the United States and it right. can't be a union. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it lived as sort of like an advocacy organization. And then they came up with, you know, arguably their best product, which is the Collins Cup. Sure. You know, like really interesting kind of Ryder Cup format. I think like with some tweaks to the way that they do that, they could have something that's super compelling. It's exciting racing. And doesn't compete like the Collins Cup on its own. If if they made some changes, like you could turn that into a three day racing environment with some shorter course stuff, like do some relays, like you could really turn this into something different, like, because it's supposed to be our version of the Ryder cup. Right. And like the Ryder cup has like, it's a multi-day format. You have lots of different ways that you play golf. So that way, like you get all of the variety in there. Like, why don't we have like, a relay and why don't we have like all of this different stuff and then you emerge with a team championship like that's super interesting and it doesn't you know drive iron man insane instead of you know like unfortunately like you look at the event schedule for the open races this year and they're dropped on top of big pre-existing iron man calendar events and it's just like yeah which i'm like total skept about that man like it was i mean really like it's really kind of antagonistic in a way it's right it's it sucks man you're forcing you 
you, you claim that you're looking after these athletes, right? Like your professional athletes are like your bread and butter and you want to support them as much as you can. And, and, and that's been the message from like day one and, and yep. every single time that slips away just a little bit, right? It's little less support, you know, so they're whittling it down from like everybody to like, you know, certain number of athletes. And then there's only a certain amount of athletes that can race. And, and then all of a sudden they come out and they, they essentially force them to pick between big races, not only from like distance, but also like days, you know, yeah. it's like, because you can't get to certain, you can't do two events. Like people that can race back to back weekend to weekend can't do it simply because of the travel. It just yeah, takes uh, way too long to get around. And honestly, the exception to that rule is probably going to be, you know, the Norwegians with, they're going to bounce from a qualify like an Olympic qualification cycle event to they're going to Singapore and then they're supposed to go to Finland for 70.3 worlds the following weekend. Like, yeah. And they can do that. But, insane. But the, it is, but, but, well, I mean, those guys are insane. Um, yes, but in a good way. Right. Um, but at the same time, it's the the iron distance athletes can't do that. No, like they're they're forced to make decisions. You know, I mean, look at Lionel. Like, I was surprised Lionel didn't race the PTO the first race of the year. I was in surprised Ibiza, that he yeah. went to St. George. Yeah, yeah. I could also see his sponsors paying him bigger bonuses for Ironman regional championships too. Yeah. And I mean, like there's the thing that I think the PTO got right in Ibiza was tying it to essentially a massive party, right? Like with, um, ITU long course worlds being there, like they, they got, they got the spectators, right? Like it, it looked really, really good. Um, I, I think that's, probably the best model for them going forward i'll be interested to see how that works with um the u.s open which is with usat nationals in milwaukee Mm -hmm. because you're going to at least get people there right um their their broadcast product is not bad like it's it's somewhat similar to kind of what you get out of an Ironman race. Um, like people are still begging for more splits on screen and every like to update graphics. And- <laughs> people have no idea how hard it is to broadcast. Like they just don't. <laughs> the request that <laughs> you, it's just like, oh, come on. I, I mean, I think long term, right? Like this is eventually I don't foresee any of these being free, right? Like right now. <laughs> Like we get to see our sport online for free for streaming, right? Yeah. Like, for yeah. the most part, I think eventually we're going to get like kind of like a triathlon.tv kind of thing, right? Like same way that, you know, uh, the World Triathlon Championship Series has done for Olympic distance stuff where you pay a certain subscription fee and you get all the races for a year, right? Like yeah. just because at some point you need to offset the cost of all of that work because as you mentioned like broadcasting is a expensive and b really really hard yeah 
Yeah. And it, you know, it's interesting that you make that, you know, observation, but you also use that example because, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but that organization is also extremely subsidized by the Olympics. Well, so, I mean, world triathlon is kind of the governing body, right? Yeah, and, and they, and they get all sorts of quote unquote free money and they still have to charge to subsidize it. Yeah. I mean, it's not, so, so oh, that, we could okay. do, we could do so, right, years so, of episodes so, on so, Olympic so, stuff. So, right. So, but back to my question and statement earlier is things take time. Right. You know, we are a small sport. We are not big, right? We are a small sport. Like there are, there are more toddlers throwing around a football with their dad at this moment than there are the history of triathletes in the world. Like we're a, we're a small sport. And we, we need to remember that when we're making decisions about what our sport is doing because we're small. And that doesn't mean that we don't stop growing it. But, you know, let's not throw $30 million into a project and say, why isn't this working in two years? You know, it, it takes a lot longer to build because, and I think that's part of what has made the fabric of our community relatively tight knit, right? Yeah. Because one, like if you survive that first kind of couple of years in the sport, right? Like where you initially fall in love with it and, you know, for some people it turns, you know, slightly obsessive for a short period of time and then they burn out of it and leave, sell everything after their last Ironman race. But it takes so much community building in order to have the equity behind it to then be able to say, okay, we're going to invest in X product to, you know, to take something like that to the next level. Now, like there are certain things that lots of people can do like i i've talked to you know the folks at iron man like it's insane that you have a press conference and there's no way for someone to remote call into it yeah like if you want to get national publications involved like because they're not going to send somebody yet yeah which is crazy because that is something that's actually really that would be really easy for them to do particularly around the world championships i mean exactly right like yeah. if we're if we're trying to do there's some low-hanging fruit that i think everybody can learn from to be able to then like make these things feel bigger right we should really press them on that this year i mean it, it's just it's you know people wonder why questions don't get asked by people in the room right like at a press conference and it's because they're waiting to have like the exclusive content like they might have lined up a 10 minute interview with an athlete after the fact um but for people who aren't there right like that's kind of like the opportunity for somebody from like an espn or something like that to be able to ask that question and all of a sudden it's like oh like espn.com did a story about chelsea sodaro because like they had the opportunity to actually talk to the person yeah. mm -hmm. instead so all right so how are we going to wrap this up we've <laughs> I feel like we've rambled a lot. When we're talking about for an age group athlete, right? Long course triathlon out there, like the you essentially have two options 
in most locations, right? Like you're probably going to race either an Ironman or a challenge event. Three, three, you've got your local stuff. Well, are we talking, what, what athlete are we talking about here? Are we talking about average age group athlete, right? Like, and for the most part, right? Long like, course. Yes. Long course. Long okay. course. Yeah. yeah. Short, we're going to dive into short course next episode, two episodes. An episode Seven down. episodes. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Something Long like course. Yeah. Yes. Long course. Long course, right? So, I mean, your two mainstream options, for lack of a better term, are Ironman or Challenge, and you're probably going to have a good experience at either one of them, right? Like, are there any of the, like the tough mans? Is that is that still a thing? Are they still? I think they're still around. Is there more than one? <laughs> I think so. Yes. They're like they're like spread really thin. Yeah, and I mean, like, are they getting like you know not to crap on somebody but like what's their participation level look like right i don't know if you look on their website they've got let's see here i mean they've got quite a bit of no they don't yeah we'll have to dive into this there are not a lot of races this year i mean i i think this goes back to kind of what we talked about last week where like we're seeing more event diversification out of, you know, quote unquote, multi-sport athletes where they're doing stuff like a gravel race or they're going to do an Xterra because like the most common thing that slow twitchers do outside of triathlon is mountain bike. So that's kind of a natural progression for a lot of them. Um, And then when they choose to do a long course road based event, like at least in North America, you can guess what brand they're choosing to race with whether that's you know long term sustainable for the sport i think local racing is going to need to continue to put on a really compelling event experience which probably has to be different than like a standardized cookie cutter like make make your course interesting and make it safe and people will go yeah no it's true Um, And I mean, like for professional athletes, like, I mean, it's a, it's an interesting time to be a pro athlete because you have, um, particularly if you are one of those top 30 athletes in the world right now, you know, like, where do you choose to go to? And, you know, like, do you want to chase the prestige of kind of like the existing name events or you know like i mean pto's got good prize money like i (laughs) yeah they do you can't you can't ignore that um you know are you going to chase that and which is more important to you also if you are a gravel rider that is a triathlete uh, let's not forget about the great plains gravel triathlon that's happening in lincoln nebraska on april or august august yeah (laughs) Yeah, don't forget about that one. Uh, we're we're co-sponsoring that event, so we're pretty pumped about that one. Yeah, no, like it it looks incredibly interesting. Like it's going to be fun. Yeah, like there's you know the 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 crew at you know Certified Piedmontese and Good Life Brands. Um, they're hosting it out of their headquarters in Lincoln, Nebraska. Um, 
they're putting a lot of resources into it. Um, they want everybody to have a good time. Um, it's, it's very reasonably priced. There's going to be a lot of free swag and, you know, it's, it's camping, it's, it's lake swim, it's, you know, gravel riding on dirt roads that are safe. And, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of a, it's kind of a boring run. It's just a bunch of loops in a state park. Um, but at the same time, um, that can also be fun because it's kind of like the shorter course at wildflower, you know, where you're just kind of there. In, internally so uh make sure you guys check it out on their website great plains gravel try uh, com. sweet yeah that's my plug for that race <laughs> let's get out of here all right and that's a wrap for the uh second episode of the slow church podcast we appreciate you listening to the uh the podcast as a whole we're still working on uh you know, where you can find this podcast. Uh, we hope that uh, Apple and, and Google and all those things will be picked up uh, hopefully by this episode, if not definitely the next episode. And uh, we look forward to um, covering all the products and topics and jazz and things like that. So if you, uh, if you want to hear more or if you want to hear less, just let us know in the forum or on the comments. We're, we're always reading and always listening. Yeah, I know. And to your point in terms of where to find this, like you can always find this on slowtwitch.com. Mm -hmm. So thanks again, and we will catch up with you next time.